I don't think that we've ever had somebody like this on the podcast. One of uh, just about a dozen people who have scored 70 goals in one season in the National Hockey League. One of even fewer who had 150 points in a season. He put up an eight-point game. And oh, yeah, just recently, his number 16 was raised to the rafters at the Leon Center in Kingston. Mr. Bernie Nichols joins the OHL podcast. Is that enough? I mean, I think there's so much more I could put in there, Bernie. <laughs> oh, I think that that hit pretty much everything, but that's good. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with the most recent and that honor in Kingston when they raise your number 16 to the rafters. What was the experience like for you? You know, that was, it was really cool, obviously. Uh, honored. Uh, they told me last year, I went and did a book signing there uh, last year and they told me they wanted to do it. And, you know, obviously when they told you, you're all excited, but then once it gets close and, and it really happens, it was, uh, it was really special. So uh, like I said, I was honored for that. I'm sure it's an opportunity for you to pause and think back on those early days, those seasons you did spend in Kingston, what stands out to you? You know, the friendships you made, um, I, I took my billet uh, that night. He was on the ice with me and Amanda. It was, uh, you know, I, I think it gets overlooked, you know, by, by people, uh, the importance that they really are to you. Uh, my cousin just told me the other day he was doing something with his billet from like the 70s or something like that when, when he left home. We, we leave home at such a young age, right? I, like I was 16 when I left home and I think it's so important to be put in with a good family. And so uh, for me uh, to have Vern up there that, that night to, to uh, you know, to be there with me, I thought was, uh, he really enjoyed it. And I just thought it was a special moment for him as well. Where, where does it rank with being inducted into the Halliburton Highlands Sports Hall of Fame? Yeah, it's similar, right? Uh, anytime you're inducted into anything, it's, it's obviously special and, uh, looking back, uh, when when they uh, went through all the accolades there, uh, still, when I scored 63 goals in 65 games, you know, I thought, I, I didn't even really think about it until, because I always knew we played 68 games or the juniors played 68 games. And then to have the record for most points still, uh, that, that's pretty special, right, to, to do that. I, I know I have one in L.A. that uh, – will hopefully never be broke to 70 goals. So um, I just thought that that number was, was pretty good to, to still have that today. Uh, I have a feeling that one won't be broken either. 63 goals, 152 points in one Ontario Hockey League season. The one number that did get knocked over by a kid by the name of Shane Wright just a couple of years ago was the rookie goal record at 36. Did you talk to Shane Wright at all afterwards? I did. Uh, and that was in my speech the other night. Right. And it's funny because I, I always say to people that, uh, and I just actually did a event last weekend with Daryl Sittler who has 10, uh, points in one game. Right. And, uh, like everybody, he obviously wants that record to go forever. And, and I always say to people, people that say, uh, you know, records are made to be broken. That's because they don't have any. No one wants their record ever to be broken, no matter what it is. And, uh, you know, Shane, he, and, and the funny thing is with Shane, he was like 15 years old or something, right? But I, I obviously reached out to him and congratulated him. Uh, there's a big difference between being 18 and, and 15 to, to get that record. So uh, I, I reached out to him and congratulated him for sure. It's so funny, Bernie, you mentioned that event with Daryl Sittler. And the first thing that comes into my mind is that 10 point game he had. And I already mentioned that you are the owner of an eight point game in the National Hockey League, which just blows my mind. But then when you're together with Daryl, does he chirp you? Come on, Bernie. What, you couldn't get two more points? Yeah, you know what? He was talking about that the other night about, you know, the whole day as far as that goes, right? Like, um, his day, something happened at the rink because hockey players were programmed. We did the same thing every day. Uh, Gretz brought that up in one of his, uh, in, in one of the podcasts or one of the interviews he did that every day he has uh, either steak and potatoes pregame. And, and 
every athlete's the same, right? You do the same routine every day. And this day with Daryl, he, something happened that he was late leaving the rank or this, that. So he just pulled over the side of the road and went to, uh, got chalet uh, chicken, uh, swish chalet chicken. And they end up, you know, and he gets 10 points and they end up sending him like $500 gift certificate for, for chicken for, you know, and he said that buys a lot of chicken, but he, he said that, you know, even Gretzky and, and I, I, I've been with Wayne, like Wayne had eight points after two periods one night. And like any athlete that, that they gun for something like that. And I, I don't, don't think that'll ever be broken either there's a few of us that have had eight no one's i think said nine daryl's had 10 and uh like i said gretz had eight points after two two periods one a couple times and, and couldn't get to 10 the night you got eight was anything different in your day no uh it was uh just a normal day uh you know had my pregame every everything went the same uh, but you know, we, we only had nine goals and to, to think, be a part of eight of it, like there was different times I could have had more goals. Uh, you know, you, as many as, as you get in on eight, I, I very easily could have been in on 10 or 11 because I, I had that many more chances just didn't go in. You mentioned that 63 goal, 152 point season in Kingston, which still stands as a single season record. And that was your second and final year there in Kingston. But you guys, Bernie, oh, did you have a team that year with the Kingston Canadians? And some way, somehow, those darn Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds got you in the Laden Division final. Yeah. And you know what? And you see that a lot in the NHL. Last year, if you remember Florida, right? Florida had such a, uh, they actually won the President's Cup, I think, year before. But they come into it where everybody was healthy, their goalie was healthy, and they just got on a roll. If you remember the the Kings in in uh, 2012, I was fortunate enough to be with them. We just squeaked in uh, the last game or two to get in the playoffs. The goalie got hot, and they just rolled. And and that's what happened. Donnie Beaupre was the goalie. Uh, they just peaked at the right time. On paper, they had no chance to beating us but the problem is they don't play the game on paper they had to play it and their team just gelled at the right time and and they got great goaltending and they just you know they beat us so they're obviously very disappointing because we, we like we had uh, i think three first round defensemen uh, our goalie was first round to to boston mike moffitt and uh we we definitely shouldn't have lost that but team got hot at the right time you were you were drafted by the I was going to say the France. That's who they are now. The Canadians in the seventh round. And and, you know, looking back on your career and everything you've done, Bernie, it kind of boggles my mind. It defies imagination that the coach, Jimmy Morrison, didn't even keep you up with the team in your first year. He he sent you back down. Yeah, I, I had that happen. And I same in L.A. Uh, first. Uh, first year they sent me to the minors and there it was kind of they drafted a first round draft choice and he was on a one-way contract uh, my dad talked to Jimmy Morrison and you know he kept Justin Hanley and Jimmy and my dad said to Jimmy you're making a big mistake and you know whether it's because the other kid was a higher draft choice or whatever uh, you know looking back you talk to Jimmy now he's going to tell you yeah, I made a mistake LA's going to tell you they made a mistake and for whatever reason it happened, but, uh, you know, it didn't discourage me. I went down and played well, no matter, you know, whether it was in Kingston or, or in LA and, and came back up and, uh, did what I, I do best and, you know, proved the coaches and the managers wrong on both sides. And, uh, you know, it's frustrating that you do get sent down when you know you shouldn't, but, uh, you can either whine and complain about it or you can go out and do something about it. You know, you talk about proving those coaches wrong, and that's exactly what I was wondering. It happens to you in Kingston. It happens to you in L.A. Did you feel, despite what you had accomplished in your career, despite your obvious skill on the ice, that you always had something to prove, Bernie? No, not really. Uh, as a player, you know what you're capable of doing. I, I've never, ever had a confidence problem with myself. Uh, you're upset that 
maybe the other people don't see it and you have to go. But like I say, with LA, it was just a matter of the guy that were ahead of me. Uh, we're on one-way contracts. So, you know, which shouldn't matter there, but it, it does. And it did early uh, here in Kingston, uh, whether it was just a numbers game and, and they didn't know, you're thinking it's a seventh round draft choice. Uh, even though when I get drafted, I, I, I was the rookie of the year in Woodstock. So they, they do know what you have, but uh, maybe they didn't quite know what they had. So to, to go ahead and send them down and they, they did call me up for the playoffs. And then obviously the next year was, you know, from then on it, you know, you proved them wrong, but I, I've never had any confidence issues myself. You just get frustrated when uh, other people maybe don't see it at first. So you just go prove them wrong, I guess. That Leon center where they hung your number 16, it's uh it's a pretty nice arena compared. I'm nothing to take away from the old barn in Kingston, but boy, oh boy, have they upgraded, eh? <laughs> yeah, they have. And, you know, uh, the thing for me was the memorial was, it was kind of like a, a NHL size rank, the sheet. Like I know they all are now, but back in, you know, the the 70s and that, they all weren't big, big arenas like that. So playing on the, the NHL size ice pad at the time was was great. That, that was a nice arena to play in for a, a skilled player because it was big. Uh, now they're all the same, but uh, I, I really enjoyed my time uh, at that arena. At, at what point in, in your time did you decide or did you add the uh, full-length fur coat to your wardrobe? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh you know, and that came up the other day too. Uh, I think when you get hit in the head as many times as I did playing, you you forget a lot. And so Vern uh, owned a fur store, and I and I worked there. And uh, I guess we, my roommate and I, uh, Phil Bork, uh, we modeled for Vern uh, those coats, and I end up uh, buying that full length uh, wolf coat from him. And I say to people, I should have maybe waited till I get drafted first. I maybe jumped the gun a little bit because not knowing you're getting drafted to L.A., uh, I probably didn't need it. Uh, but I uh, I actually still have because uh, a couple years into pro, uh, I bought another uh, full-length otter coat from Vern, and I still have it to this day. That's incredible. And good point. I mean, you would have maybe wanted a surfboard and some sandals based on where you got drafted, eh? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another little tidbit I came across that kind of blew my mind a little bit was a story from David Branch, still until the end of this year, the commissioner in the Ontario Hockey League. And he talked about a young Bernie Nichols coming over to his cottage, which was kind of a neighboring cottage to yours when you were a kid, kind of knocking on the door because you knew he had some hockey posters of some kind. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how it came about, but my dad uh, knew that David lived there. David lived in the, the lake uh, next to ours. I'm on pine. David was on grass. And so we went and visited him. Uh, and maybe it was after I, I was a junior player. So uh, I, I got to know him a little bit, but my dad introduced me to him. He, he, he found out somehow and uh, a nice relationship uh, formed from that. It's, it was almost meant to be, Bernie. You're that close to the commissioner. You end up in the league playing in Kingston. I mean, these things were just destined, I think, for you. Yeah, it worked out great. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a, probably the best thing about playing in the NHL too, right? People always ask, what's the greatest thing about this and that? And it's it's the people you meet, the, the friendships that you, you know, you form. And a lot of it's with, with teammates and stuff, right? Like, uh, but it's other people too, like David and uh, other people around the league. When you arrived in LA, I mean, you get there to a Kings team with Marcel Dion and Dave Taylor and Charlie Simmer and so many more. Were you in awe at all? Well, I think uh, the cool part about getting drafted, right? And I don't know if you remember uh, Ryan Watson. Uh, Ryan played in Washington. Um, he was a tough guy, but little. He was my size, but he was tough. And and so I, I taught at a hockey school with Brian and Walt McKechnie. And uh, one thing about 
when you get drafted, right? Especially back then, I think it's so much different now because I think it's so important that the older guys kind of take the younger guys under their wing and, you know, help them out. And it, it wasn't so much that back in the early eighties, I guess. And Brian uh, Bugsy Watson, he said, look, he's because I knew when I was going there, they had Marcel Dion, which uh, I, I wasn't taking Marcel's job, but when you get drafted to a team, you're going to have to go take someone's job, right? That's what sucks about our sport is you're coming in and you're taking someone's job. And, and, and Brian kind of told me there was like three other centermen there. He knew, but he knew what I had and he knew their talent there. And he, he said, you're just going to go take it. And, uh, so he kind of prepared me for that. But looking back, you know, guys like Dave Taylor and Charlie Simmer and Mars and um, Mike Murphy were kind of the older guys that they knew me coming in was going to help them. So they, they kind of took me under their wing. The, the centermen that I was coming to take their job, they're not real friendly, right? When, when someone's coming to take their job, you don't get much support from them, which I never did. But I knew going in, uh, it wasn't going to be a problem me taking their job anyways. It, you certainly endeared yourself to the home fans in your rookie season, three straight home games you put up a hat trick. I mean, for some guys, that's a rookie season. You had nine in three different home games. Three in a row, yeah. Um, you know, I think it it was uh, my ninth game. I, I scored two goals uh, in Colorado. We won two nothing. And, you know, it's like anything. It's as a skilled player, right? It's once you get that first one, then it, it kind of comes. Uh, and I was fortunate and I don't know if it's been done before, like three, three straight home games. So obviously uh, I kind of got their attention then because I was just nicely called up. And uh, then they realized that uh, I was going to help their team. And I think the players, it, it, it showed the players that uh, they knew what they had to as a, a teammate. Right. So uh, the fans loved it. Obviously I loved it. So uh, I got off to a, a pretty good start with, with the fans in LA. You know, you kind of read my mind when you talked about your teammates knowing what kind of teammate they now had in Bernie Nichols. And they took to calling you by the nickname Franchise, even like Charlie Simmer in a practice would bow down to the franchise. What's going through a young hockey player's head when he's hearing stuff like that? Well, uh, you don't hate it. Uh, obviously, they, they show a lot of confidence in you, and, and uh, they know what they got as far as your ability to, to help the team. So I think any time uh, they give you something like that, other than, you know, you never compare a, a player to, like, a Gretzky or Lemieux or something like that. That's a, a bad thing to, to be tagged with. But something like that that can help the franchise uh, help the, the team. There's nothing wrong with that. There were a couple of guys that would be, I think, uh, described as the franchises for their particular team, the New York Islanders and Mike Bossy and Brian Trottier. Did you really ask those guys for sticks after you knocked them out of the playoffs one year? Um, I, I, it was worse than that. Um, I, I've never played them in the playoffs other than with New York, but Brian was gone by then. They were they were always my my favorite team when I was in junior uh, when they were on their roll in the early eighties. Uh, so and I become real good friends with Brian Trache, the late Clark Gillies. But what I did is after our morning skate, I waited around and I went and got them to sign my stick every player, but. What I didn't remember is, and what Brian tells me, what Clarkie told me is, I went right in the friggin' dressing room and went around like a little kid asking to sign my stick. So kind of embarrassed now to think about that I did that. I was kind of hoping I just gave it to the trainer, but they told me whether they were just, you know, lying to me. But they said I went right in the dressing room and got them to sign my stick and then played against them seven hours later. <laughs> so if I did that, then so be it, I guess. But I still have their stick. With Do all you really? Pictures on it. Yeah, it's an old Victoria 
stick, a brand new one. They signed it. And I still have it. That is I can't a, really read any of the na- names anymore, but I, I still have it. I don't blame you. I mean, that's a fantastic piece of hockey memorabilia for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To think how I got it's even worse, but yeah. So we talked about those legendary Kings names that were in L.A. when you arrived there, Bernie. And clearly you were a, a piece of the future. I mean, maybe when they were calling you the franchise, they knew what was to come because you were still there when a guy named Wayne Gretzky was acquired from the Edmonton Oilers. What were the Gretzky days like? Well, I, I say to everybody, you know, I don't know what it would be like to play with Wayne for four or five years, 10 years, right? Like I got Wayne for a year and a half. I get traded halfway through my second year, but uh, it, it was amazing. I, I got to, to hang with Wayne every day. Uh, I, I tell people, I don't know why, but I was Wayne's guy every day. We'd go to lunch, every road trip, we would go out, he'd take me out to dinner, uh, just Wayne and I, like it was unbelievable. And like, I don't know why, but thrilled to death that he picked me. Uh, so I got to hang with him every day for a year and a half. So it was pretty cool. How difficult based on that? I mean, you saw some great offensive success. Obviously, uh, the team is is making a statement with a deal like that. How difficult was it for you to really accept that trade to New York that came after? Yeah, they always say your first trade's the, the hardest, right? That's when you realize that it's a business uh, and it sucked because I just I just bought a house in L.A., but I asked the owner you know, I'm not a business person. I said, what do you think? Um, I just signed a new deal there, uh, that he signed me to himself. Uh, and he said, I'll never trade you. Right. So I bought this house and three months later, uh, you get traded and I understand why, you know, uh, just because they needed someone for Wayne to play with Wayne and I are both centermen. They needed wingers for him to play with. He, for some reason, Dave Taylor and, and Luke Robitaille just didn't gel with Wayne, which was great for me because I got them that year to play with. But uh, they needed someone for Wayne to play with. And and so they had to make a deal. And I was the only one that New York would take. But like I said, uh, I, I, I don't know what it would be like to play with Wayne for another four or five years. It would have been obviously very special. So you're, you're hurt. You're devastated when, when you get traded. And, and, and that was why. Just you know, more or less because I, I couldn't play with Wayne anymore. You say that they tell you the first trade is the hardest and the next trade that came after that sent you to Edmonton. And that's a chance to do something you hadn't done professionally yet. And that was play for a team in Canada. How did that feel? Well, I tell everybody uh, as a Canadian boy, uh, you have to play in Canada somewhere. And for me, it was Edmonton and it was the best. Uh, I had more fun there. You know, once again, who do I get traded for? It's Mark Messier. Uh, and I've said to people, when, when people ask who's my fiercest competitor that I've ever played against, it was Mark. Uh, we we're both centermen, so I'd have to face off against him. He was big and strong, uh, just mean, but, but so good, right? And, and I had some great rivalries with Mark. Edmonton, L.A. Hell, I got him in New York when I was with the uh, Devils. Played against him with when he was with the Rangers. And but but going to Edmonton, it, it was unbelievable. We went to semifinals that year. Who did we meet the first year or the first round is the Kings with Gretzky, Curry. I don't know if Koff was there. Charlie Huddy was there. Maybe Grant Fear. They had half the the old uh, Oiler team. And now we go in there and we we put them out first round. So that was kind of extra special too. Uh, but playing Edmonton was amazing. It, it really is. I mean, one of the premier hockey cities, look, I'm a, I'm a Leafs fan. I grew up in Southern Ontario, but you got to give it to city of champions in Edmonton. They love their hockey team. Yeah, they do. And, and being a smaller uh, city, you know, I, I, I think they, you can't compete with Toronto, right? You can't compete with Toronto, Montreal, um, uh, Toronto fans, they, they travel so good. Uh, but being a small town, small market city as Edmonton, boy, they uh, they hold their own with anybody. You talked about Messier. 
and being the fiercest competitor you ever played against and were traded from New York so that he could go there. You meet him later. That that semifinal where you met him when you're with the New Jersey Devils, that was the that was the Rangers Cup year. That was his that was the famous Mark Messier guaranteed win year. I mean, when you heard that, did you did you feel insulted on the other side? Yeah, no. Um we knew what Mark was doing. All, all Mark was saying is, you know, he was just trying to give us some confidence to his player because that that's not who Mark is. If anybody knows Mark, he's arguably the best leader there is in sports. Um, he was just trying to tell his team, you know, we can win, guys, you know. And uh, I, I tell people this day, even though the first series with Gretz, uh, we played the Oilers. We were down three games to one, come back in game seven and beat them. To, to eliminate Edmonton in Wayne's first year uh, game seven, I had two goals, two assists uh, in that final game. But I still say the best series I was ever involved in was New York and the devils, even though we lost it uh, seven games, three went into overtime and game seven in the double overtime. And we should never have lost that. Right. Like we should have actually won game six at home. Um, but that's that's hockey, and we got them two nothing late in the second period, and we had a giveaway by a, a rookie, and uh, just when they scored that, and, but uh, that series was that was kind of special one to be involved in. You were involved in 118 playoff games overall, 114 points in those 118 games. So. Point of game pace, even in the playoffs. What was it about the postseason that you enjoyed so much? Um, you know, that's what you why you play the game, right? Is to to uh, get in playoffs and and have a playoff run. And th- there's nothing better. Like um, it, it's so it's so hard to explain. Like because like most athletes, you're just so competitive, and and when there's so much on the line and uh, the playoffs are just so much fun to, to play as much as a regular season game. Uh, there's something special about the playoffs and, uh, you, you want to be a part of it and you want to help your team however you can. And to me, there was just nothing better than, than the playoffs. Might've been the closest you came as a player when the Rangers knock you out, but you did get the chance to uh, win a Stanley Cup as you were a coaching consultant with the Kings when they won one of theirs. How did that come about? Well, I was fortunate to play for Daryl Sutter. Uh, played with them in Chicago. I played with them in, in San Jose. And uh, that that year, early in the year, uh, just as a you know, as an alumni from the Kings, I I love watching the Kings play, and their power play just absolutely sucked. They they'd lose games, uh, you know, with four or five power plays and five on threes, and just couldn't score. And uh, I, I talked to the the general manager about coming, and the coach at the time said, you know, it, it's tough just to uh, not be a full time or whatever, and so whatever. And uh, they they end up firing. Terry Murray at, at Christmas time and I knew who they were uh going to hire was Daryl and like I said I played for Daryl twice I actually the year I retired in San Jose I finished the season coaching with him so I just reached out to him and I, I just said look your power play sucks uh I just want to come and help he said absolutely so uh I flew there January 3rd they had a homestand they had like nine games or something and so I, I helped with the power play you know, he just called me his a consultant to the head coach, whatever. Uh, we, we, the, the nine games, and then we went on the road. Uh, and I said, you know, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I haven't been on the road team yet. I want you to come and roll with us. Great. Go on the road. We go Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. We win, win, and we tie. So we go home. I say, what do you want me to do? Well, I want you to stay. <laughs> okay, great. So uh, I end up staying the year and, you know, uh, helping with the kids. I, I hung with the players more than I did with the coaches, right? Uh, Daryl can be hard on the coach or the players at times, but I was always good. And I felt closer to the players because I still feel I'm still a player right at heart. So um, I got to hang with them. I, I got to stay for the year and it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I say to people, obviously 
that win as a player, it, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I I say I just can't imagine what it'd be like to to win it as a, a player because it was it was extra special as a coach too. I can't imagine. Like I love the way this starts, Bernie. You you basically call Grant that you had a relationship with him, but you're like, listen, your power play sucks, and I'm going to be able to help you fix yeah. it. Like how how did you know? What were you seeing, and what did you implement? Well, just as a skilled player, right? Uh, a lot of times you can have skilled players out there with no direction, really, right? So uh, just to kind of give them a little bit of direction. Uh, and, and they had some talented players, Anze Kopitar, right? Like at the trade deadline, they, they traded for Jeff Carter too, which probably was uh, as good a trade as they could make. But just, you know, and, and you relate really well to the players, right? Skilled players, I think, were... Daryl was not so much a skilled player. Like uh, I know we had him in Chicago and, and that was one of the reasons I, I asked him. Uh, we had Jeremy Roney, Tony Imani, Joe Murphy, uh, uh, Gary Suter, Chris Chelios, and myself. And that was our power play. And, and Daryl actually called us in and he basically said, look, I don't play the power play. Uh, this is your power play. You guys just go do what you want with it just work hard at it. He, he left it up to us, right? I think we were 24% that year. We were the best in the league, really good. So I knew when I, when I called them, I knew what his answer is going to be because he'd already told me I don't run a power play. Right. And obviously who's ever the, the assistant coach that was running it at the time wasn't doing a very good job because they sucked at it. Right. So uh, I kind of knew going in what, what uh, he was going to say. So, and, and, and easy, right, to, to go in. And I think it's easier for a skilled player to listen to another skilled player li than listening to a coach that maybe isn't as skilled as you were. So it just made it easy to, to talk to the guys and just throw some suggestions at them. Uh, and, and it worked out great. Did you kind of let them freewheel the same way Sutter let you guys freewheel in Chicago? Yeah, pretty much. Once you, once you give them some direction, right. And uh, I, I think it makes it easier uh, just because you know, it, it's always the, the skilled players, right? Let, you got to let skilled players use their skill. Uh, don't, don't kind of handicap them or, or put them in a position where uh, they, they won't succeed. And I think when you do that, you, you kind of give them a little direction and then that just makes it easy for them to, to use their own skill and kind of work it from there. It sounds like we need you at Hockey Canada here, Bernie. It's a bit of a tangent, I'll admit, but every year this tournament comes along at Christmas and I feel like we spend way too much time trying to build a team as opposed to just getting the best damn players we can and telling them to go out there and be good at their jobs. Well, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what it is, right? Like you always see, uh, have you ever seen a, a great coach that didn't have a great team? Like, and that. And, and trust me, no disrespect to Glenn Sather uh, in the 80s, right? Like, uh, it's not too hard to say, hey, Gretz, you're up. Hey, Mess, you're up. Cough, you go. You know what I mean? Like, but, but you still have to know how to use them. That's where Glenn was so good. Um, you got to know how to use it. And that, you're always taught, right? You live and die with your best players. You, you win and lose with your best players. You, Glenn would never... Uh, yell and scream at his third and fourth line players you're not winning with your third and fourth line players you, you win and lose with your skill players so you just let them go and you let them play like i remember you know when babcock was here with matthews i don't know what his ice time was getting but you, you couldn't play him enough these young kids you couldn't play them enough chris chelios he wanted to play a whole game one time uh, and he probably could have right let him go like you, you'd live and you die with your best players. And that's what happened. I think that was what happened with, with Babcock, with, with Matthew. Didn't play him enough. And I don't know how you couldn't play that guy enough. You, you can't play uh, Leon and, and Connor McDavid enough in Edmonton. Just play them all night. You, you win and lose with your best players. And that, that's, that's the way it is. Even as you began to help that Kings team in 2012 turn things around, they came into the playoffs eighth, and you have to play the President's Trophy winning Vancouver Canucks in the first round. Do you remember the 
mindset going into that, Bernie? I do. Um, funny thing is, we're playing in uh, in San Jose, last game of the year, and uh, Daryl asked the coaches, uh, "Who would you like to play in the first round?" And you gotta remember, I've only been there for half the year, and so is Daryl. Uh, and if we we lose against San Jose, we end up in eighth place, and we play Vancouver. If we win, we go to uh, St. Louis. St. Louis had like the best home record. Uh, they only lost, you know, not many games at home, but really good. But I said uh, to Daryl, not that you ever want to lose, but I said I would sooner play Vancouver because just think you got a better chance against them, right? But it was like everything just came together. Like I said, they made that trade at the uh, deadline. They got uh, Jeff Carter. Uh, Mike Richards and him played together that Kopitar like but it, it was all goaltending right like uh, Jonathan Quick he just he was the best player by far they end up winning uh, I think 10, 10 road games they set a record for road wins right we went into Vancouver won both games there and lost game four at home but we go back to Vancouver win game five Going to St. Louis, who had the best home record, we swept them in four. You know, it's like going to uh, the second best team or something, Arizona, beat them three games in their building. Uh, but Jonathan Quick was, he, he gelled at the right time. He was unbelievable. He was by far, well, he won the cons mice. So uh, he was their best player. Uh, the team just played so well. What did you do on your day with the cup? Wow. Uh, brought it home to the house. My mom and dad got to see it. I took it. I took it to our hunting camp. I actually had it out in a boat. My dad made a canoe for me. Uh, I made all of the boys a canoe. I, I had it out in a canoe. I had it up in a, a deer stand uh, with my bow. Uh, I took it to the school. I took it to the arena. Uh, and then a couple local stores around home, but I had everybody up. It, it was, it was everything you could imagine it would be. Uh, day with the cups, pretty special. That's a full day for the cup. Oh yeah, that that thing. I wish uh, the cup could write a book. Uh, uh, some of the places it's been uh, helicoptered up on the top of a mountain. I think that's what uh, Willie Mitchell had it done, or, or it might have been the. Uh, the, the two boys, uh, Scotty Niedemeyer and his brother, headed up there too. Like that thing's been everywhere, uh, but it's it's a pretty special day. You know, I, I'm just thinking, Bernie, about those experiences. And I know you're you're back in the Halliburtons now, and there's like the cup in your deer blind with you. I mean, you're you're a small town guy. L.A. must have been a culture shock beyond belief for you. Yeah, um, and I've, I've said this to different times to people, right? Like, when I first got drafted, uh, because when you come from a little small town like that, you get hockey night in Canada every Saturday night, right? And you'd see that. Uh, I, I came home, and my mom came out. You just got drafted by the L.A. Kings. And I'm honestly, I said, the L.A. Kings? I didn't even know they had a team, right? And then I go from my hometown at the time, when I get drafted, there's 75 people in my hometown. Like where I went to school and where I played minor hockey, I had to travel like 15 miles to Halliburton. Uh, but my little town, there's 75 people. I go from the smallest town in, in the world to 10 million people in LA, right? You're flying in and I'm used to playing hockey outside the frozen ponds, the snow, and I'm flying in and, and there's palm trees and uh, 70 degrees in the wintertime. But, uh, but I always say, right. And, and people see that now it, after a game, when it's 70 degrees, rather than when I was in Edmonton, it's minus 40. 
uh, there's a big difference. There's a little bit more to do in, in Southern California in the wintertime than there is in Edmonton or back east here, you know. So that warm weather, a lot of, a lot of athletes like the warm weather now. If they can get there, it's, they don't mind it. I could certainly understand that and appreciate it. That small town of yours made you its citizen of the year back in 2019. That's not a bad honor either, Mr. Nichols. No, well, uh, I always say without getting emotional, if I, uh, my mom and dad were also citizen of the year too. So I say, if I, if I ever do anything that, you know, they honor me the same as my mom and dad, then obviously I've done something good. So I was very proud of that. What did your parents mean to your hockey career? Sorry? What did your parents mean for you in the ho- in your hockey career? Well, I, I always said uh, everything. Uh, everything I, I've learned in life was from my dad. You know, my dad was a really good hockey player, uh, but he was the best coach I ever had. And, and I say this, and I truly mean it. Uh, he was probably harder on me than anybody because he knew – what I was capable of doing, you know, like, so when he was teaching me or coaching me, he'd be harder on me than the other kids because like I said, he knew what he had. Right. So, uh, and very smart. Uh, I, and I tell people, I remember 10 years old taking faceoffs in our kitchen floor him teaching me, uh, how valuable faceoffs were. And, and I took more pride in that than anything I ever did, uh, playing hockey because he, you know, he taught you that. So just everything. My mom was my biggest fan. You know, I always laugh. Uh, I bought them a satellite dish so they could see our games, but they didn't come on till 1030 at night. Right. But she never missed a game. She's up at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, watching me play every night. I think she might've been happier when I moved back East. So she didn't have to spend half the nights up watching me play hockey. So but that, that was all, uh, that's, you know, big part of my life is obviously them. Oh, that's a great story. Uh, you were a hell of a baseball player, though, too. And you, you were in pro, like you're playing National Hockey League in the winter and summer. You're, you're winning fast pitch tournaments back home. Well, I went to the summer games in, uh, for, in, for Canada in uh, 1981. I played for Ontario. We won the All-Ontario uh, fastball and uh, got to play in the summer games with that. I love I love playing uh, fastball. I, I played it my whole life. I three or four different teams I'd play for in the summertime. Like it was, I I liked it every bit as much as hockey. I just I guess I was just a little better at one than the other. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the hockey worked out okay for you, but that's not bad either. It worked uh, out all right. It did. It did. Um, yeah. from floodlights to bright lights, your autobiography, what made you decide to write the book? Oh, I had a, a couple people say I should, uh, so, you know, and it was fun too, right? Just, just the journey where, where you go from, you know, from that small town to the big city and, and, uh, just the, you know, your story, I think, uh, made a fun read. So uh, it, I enjoyed writing it or, you know, being a part of it. I think the guy did a great job uh, writing it. So um, it, it, was a, it was a lot of fun to do. And just to have people read it, appreciate it. I, I've got a lot of comp- or compliments in it. So that makes it uh, worthwhile too. You know, we've talked about so many players, including some modern day players like Austin Matthews and all the skill and Shane Wright who broke your rookie scoring record, et cetera. But those points that you were putting up and, and the era that you played the game, Bernie, which was certainly much more of a, a, a wide open style, offensive style of hockey. Do you, do you miss that? Do you think we'll ever get back to anything even close the way it's played and coached today? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Honestly, I think the game's better today as far as, you know, the kids are, they're bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, I think they, the goalies are much bigger and, and a little better athletes than they were back in the day too. Uh, I think they make it easier, 
for people to score goals, even though it's tougher too. like you can't clutch and grab. You can't put your stick on the other guy's stick. You can't, you know, um, there's more power plays. There's more five on threes. There's more four on threes. There's just, I just think they make it easier for the skill players. You watch, watch guys today, they're skating around. They might as well skate around in sweats because you can't touch them. You can't put your hand on them. You can't in front of the net. Like you would take an absolute beating in front of the net. I wouldn't go in front of that back in the day because you're just going to get the hell beat out of you. Nowadays, you can go sit there. All the all the defensemen try to do is they try to box out. They try to get in front of you. They so I just think it they make it easier to score, even though it it is tough to score nowadays. There was a a label that followed you around uh, mostly early in the career, but I, I'm really curious about it today. Were you a hot dog, Bernie Nichols? Are you one today? You know, I think, um, I think I was very confident, but I think what it was, and, and it, I think it, it, I proved it earlier when we talked, I had fun, right? I was talking to players. I was always tapping goalies, talking to goalies, talking to players, because I loved it. I had so much fun, right? Like I, I'm laughing out there and I think when I said to you earlier, I went right in the dressing room with the Islanders and got their autographs because I was just a kid. And, and that's how I played. I played because I had fun. I was a kid at heart and I just enjoyed it. And I think it, I, I think I got a bad rap but that I wasn't serious or I wasn't, you know, uh, maybe dedicated enough or I was just cocky or arrogant. I was probably cocky for sure. Uh, because I was cocky with my ability, I, I knew I was I was good, right? Uh, but I, I think it was just people see me out there laughing, having fun, and and maybe they just didn't think I took it serious. But when I told you earlier, going in and getting their autographs, you know, I, I think that just shows what kind of a person I was as far as still a kid at heart playing a playing a game. I just had fun playing and you know, maybe people took it the wrong way. You wouldn't have uh, tapped Billy Smith on the pads or talked to him, would you have? Ooh, no, not Billy. Uh, <laughs> Billy would take you over the head with his stick. But, you know, Grant, most of the goalies, I, I had a great relationship with them. If they made a good save, I'd tap them and congratulate them, you know. And uh, some guys, Billy wouldn't like it, but uh, most of the other guys didn't mind it. I think it's one of the things that the game does miss these days, isn't it, Bernie? A little bit of character. Well, you know what? And uh, I know Alex Ovechkin took a beating uh, in the, the press about, you know, when he'd celebrate his goals and stuff. And, and I'm going, are you kidding me? You know how hard it is to score a goal in the NHL? Like, I get upset when people don't get excited when they score, right? Like, Alex did. He's only scored like 800 and some goals, but you can still see he still, people still love to score. And, and I was no different. Uh, you know, I, I love seeing that. And I, I to, to see a guy not celebrate a goal, I, I don't get it. But, you know, you don't get that very often anymore. People, they enjoy scoring goals. And I was one of them. Yeah, you had the pumpernickel. That's right. Yeah. Bob Miller. Uh, he named that, and that was why I, you know, I scored. I, I celebrated, and uh, and Bob nicknamed me at the pumpernickel, so it stuck. I Are wish you... I did it more. <laughs> you, you still having fun today? I still love skating. Uh, I just did a Easter Seals uh, event in Collingwood, and went out, and we had two games on Friday. When I put my skates on. I still love it. I still feel like I'm a kid. It's, it's, and I don't think that when it does change, then I won't play. But until that, I, I still do Mary Lemieux's fantasy camp. Uh, I did Gretz's until he stopped. I, you know, I still do a lot of charity hockey games and still love put my skates on. You know, Bernie, I, I got to let you go. I know, but this just made me think of this. We we're not far removed from the hall of fame induction ceremony. Who do we have to talk to, to get Bernie Nichols in there? <laughs> you know, I, I say it, and I, I honestly think it's where I played. Uh, because, like I said, 
other than my mom staying up at 10:30 and midnight to watch me play because most of the people who voted back in the day uh, were from from the east coast and probably didn't watch a lot of games and and my my comparison right and and I and I mean this and it's not a knock on the person because there isn't a person in my uh, opinion in the Hall of Fame that should not be in the Hall of Fame there, there's not one you know uh, people said about Eric Lindros he never won anything he shouldn't been there hell he should have been in there he's he was a beast when he played like he was huge and and played so like and his his statistics aren't even close to mine but the, the person I bring up all the time is Daryl Sittler. I say to people, if Daryl Sittler played in, in L.A. for his career, would he be in the Hall of Fame? And if you go, yes, then you, I go, no. Because I played there, and my statistic, other than the 10 points, everything else is better than Daryl's. And I'm not in the Hall of Fame. So, no, he wouldn't have. The Sedin twins. Or Daniel Albertson. Daniel played in Ottawa. His statistics aren't even close to mine, but he's in. The Satine, Satine twins, they played like eleven or 1,200 games and have 1,100 points. I played in 1,100 games and had 1,200 points. Not even Theirs aren't even as close to mine, but they're in because they played in Vancouver, right? They, they played a couple, you know, either the Olympics or uh, – world championships and i tell people well they never had wayne gretzky Merrill lemieux dale howard chuck stevie eiserman doug gilmore brian troche uh newland as a centerman that's who i had to, to beat out to play center because i played center all those guys are all centermen so i'm not taking their job right so that's why i didn't play in in the olympics or world championships because I'm not better than those guys, but so that's what I tell people. Uh, so if it happens, it happens, but uh, I think it's because of where I played. Well, we're certainly glad that you did play and give us all the enjoyment over all the years. Uh, <laughs> congratulations again on the Jersey retirement in Kingston. It's uh, it's going to be great. We get up there early in the new year, so I'll get a chance to see it. And this has been Perfect. a lot of fun to sit down with you. Thank you very much for making the time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.